Hey, it is good to be back with you this morning. Uh, we are going to be continuing our series through the Framework series. Uh, this comes from Luke chapter 24. Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, he appears, uh, and Luke tells us, to two disciples on a road to Emmaus, about seven miles. And as he's talking with them, they're very sad, and they, they begin to explain what's taken place, and they say, we had hoped he had, would be the one that would redeem Israel. And at that point, Jesus had enough, and he said, uh, how, how slow of heart are you to believe? Wasn't this necessary that all these things should happen? And then in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So for about three hours, Jesus gave the first framework series. He helped them understand how the Bible fits together in one unified story culminating in in Him and His glory. And so that's what we're trying to do in in this series. And if you've been with us, uh, this is now week three. And we're trying to tell the story of the whole Bible and give you a, a framework for understanding that. So we looked at the, the, this, this story. We have the best story, by the way, um, in all the universe. And so we, we talked about creation, that God spoke and the universe came into existence. And he said it was very good. And then he made people created in his image. And he said those are very good. And, and things were very good. But then last week, Matthew talk, told us about the fall and how sin entered in the world. Our first parents turned their back on God and said, we'll do things our way. And so brokenness and ruin and wreck came into the world and sin and sickness and death. And if you read from chapter 3 on uh, last week, you would have saw things went from bad to worse. And, and so there's murder. Cain murders his brother Abel. And then there's, uh, there's a continued downward spiral. There's God sends a flood to take out wicked humanity and saves Noah out of that. And, and civilization, civilization begins again. But then uh, they, they go and reject God again and try to make a name for themselves in, in chapter 11, we're told. So we see creation fall. And today we're going to look at the third part of the story. So some would say that, that we're going to start with the second half of your Bible. That the first first eleven verses of your Bible are creation and fall. The second half is begins in Genesis chapter twelve, where the redemption plan begins to unfold. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter fifteen mostly today. But if you have your Bible, you can turn to uh, begin to turn there. I'll, I'll pray for our time in the Word, and, and we'll begin to unpack this together. So, Father, we get to come before you once again in the name of your Son and in the power of your Holy Spirit. And once again, we want to ask. For you to do that which only you can do. Once again, that you would speak to us through your word. Once again, that you would stir our faith. Would you fuel our worship? Would you uh, give us peace in our souls? Would you help us to see and savor Jesus? Would you do all that and more? Uh, Because you delight to do that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be mostly in Genesis chapter 15. But if you have your Bible, you can work to Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to learn the story of, of a guy named Abraham. You simply cannot understand the Bible without understanding his story. Even the New Testament, 75 times in the New Testament, Abraham is mentioned. And Abraham is mentioned often as the father of faith. 
And, and if you think of it like we do often with our heroes of, of our country or the Bible, we, we tend to whitewash them and think, oh man, they must be so amazing. But the Bible doesn't do that. He's the father of faith, but, but, but there are times when he walks in incredible faith and then there's other times where he walks in incredible fear and doubt and, and, and unbelief. And, and in that way, I really appreciate Abraham. And that because the, the fact of the matter is sometimes I walk in incredible faith and sometimes I walk in incredible doubt and fear and worry. And so do you. And so as we enter in this story, God wants to teach us not, not so much about Abraham, but about his God, about who God is in the midst of this ebbing and flowing of our faith. The, the, there are two questions that are going to hang over this. And really, it's going to come through in this. It's going to be the gospel. Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, uh, for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So in some ways, actually, uh, in one very particular way, the gospel is going to be clearer in the passage we look at today than anywhere in the New Testament. And, and the passage we look at today is, is on the surface, it's kind of dark and it's kind of confusing, but if we would see through it, I think it would stir our faith and fuel our faith. And so there's these two questions that are going to hang over Abraham's life. In fact, they're going to hang over your life. In fact, they hang over every person who has ever lived. It was the questions that Adam and Eve had to deal with. And uh, it's a question, one from God to us and one from us to God. And, and the question that, that is hanging over your life right now in some way, shape, or form, and you could probably identify it within about three seconds, is this. God is saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? That's going to be the question for Abram his whole life. It's going to be the question for you, your whole life. God's saying to you, will you trust me? And then the question that, the second question that goes back to God is, how can we know? How, how can we know that we can trust you, God? And so this question comes back and forth throughout his life, but it's a question that you and I deal with. And, and if we're honest, there, there are times, probably there are times where it's easy to answer, yeah, God, God I, don't, I don't understand all the circumstances, but I'll trust you in this. I'll trust you with this relationship, with this job, or whatever. Sometimes it's easy. But oftentimes, not so much. Oftentimes, it's very difficult to say, yes, I'll trust you. Because in those moments, it's often paired with waiting. Or it's paired with suffering. Or it's paired with, paired with uncertainty about the future. And so, when God is asking us the question, will you trust me? It's in the midst of, incredible pain maybe or, or just doubt like I, I don't know are you trustworthy I, I don't really believe you are who, who you say you are or I don't believe that I am who you say I am or, or it's in, in the midst of waiting and waiting and waiting and every moment that goes by and every year that goes by that there's something that you're going through and you're waiting and it gets a little bit harder to trust God maybe you're waiting for a spouse Maybe you're waiting for a, a child or you're waiting on an, an adoption or you're waiting uh, on a, a career change or, or God to open a door in ministry that you just know you want to go through but it, it's not going and, it, and he's asking you to wait and in the midst of it he's saying, will you trust me? Or maybe it's surrounded with pain. Like a, a spouse that has left through death or divorce and, and, and you're just in the middle of pain and God's saying, will you trust me with this? Maybe it's a, a sickness or a diagnosis or, or, or some way, shape, or form. There's a question that is hanging over your life. 
And when we get together, just know that when we get together in our gospel communities and people really do life together, what we find is there's an incredible amount of weight and heaviness in a lot of our lives. And, and with that weight and with that heaviness is again the question, are we going to take this to God? Are we going to trust Him? And then our question, well, how do we know? How can we know that we can trust you, God? And this is the question for Abram. So we pick up his story, or at the beginning of his story, in, in Genesis chapter 11, actually. God, God has come, and, and, and Abram is from this land called Ur. It's, it's modern-day uh, Iraq, kind of Kuwait area. And he is 75 years old. His wife, Sarai, is 65 years old. He's had some degrees of, of success and wealth, but like everyone else in, on the planet at this time, he's a pagan worshiper. He doesn't know God. There's nothing special about Abram. Like, like God didn't look down on humanity and be like, that's the guy that, that he could re- I really need him on my team. No, God just in his sovereign grace comes to Abram and invites him to the most incredible covenant that we've ever seen. But, but you need to know something about Abram. There's, there's kind of a, a weight and a darkness hanging around his life. Verse 30 of chapter 11 says, Now Sarai, his wife, was barren. In case you didn't know what that meant, the author clarifies, she had no child. And so there is a, there is a weight, there is, a, there is a, a waiting that's taken place, and there's just a, a kind of a brokenness, especially in that time where, where that was the only thing that mattered, was passing on your line. And now he's 75 years old, and his wife is 65, and, and later in Genesis it'll say, she's passed the time for childbearing. And so there's this kind of way. But, but to make matters worse is his name. His name means exalted father. Abram, exalted father. So imagine every time he hears his name, it's a little bit of pain. Every time his wife calls his, her husband's name, hey, exalted father. And there's just that echo of emptiness behind that. Because they've been waiting and I imagine they came up with some, maybe some cutesy names for each other to kind of get past that Abe or Muffin or whatever. But, but behind all that, they know there's brokenness there. There's weight. There's sadness to even the name. And so he gets called. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I make your name great. Remember, the people were trying to make their name great. But God comes to one man and says, I will make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now that is incredible faith. What did God ask of Abram? Well, right away we see something of the the missionary heart of God. He comes to Abram and he says, I want you to leave your family. I want to leave your your, your country, your nation. I want you to leave everything you've built your life around and found your identity around. I want you to go. And I'm not even going to tell you where to go. And, And by the way, this is the first time God's spoken to anyone in a very, very long time. So Abram's like, who? Who's calling me? Yes, okay, I'll go. And in that way, he has some incredible faith. But, but notice what, what God says he's calling him to. He says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. And that's true of all of us. 
Like the reason that you have any blessing is, is, is for God to use that blessing in and through you to bless others. He says, I, I want you to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Through you, through this one man, 4,000 years ago, God had a plan. He was initiating a promise. Redemption was about to unfold 4,000 years ago. Now think about the implications of this. For the last couple of weeks, I've been in Europe. And as I've been in Europe, I've been meeting with people and believers from all over the world, different nations, different backgrounds, and I've been studying for this message. So as I was studying Abram, and, and as I would go to Athens, and I, I went to a, a, a church that was an Albanian church in the middle of Athens, and we gathered with, with missionaries from all over the world, I laughed. I said, this is because God came to a man 4,000 years ago. That's why we're here in this room. That God's promise is true. And then I went to Germany and I worshiped with people from all the nations of Europe and, and beyond. And I, and I smiled in that moment. I said, this is because of God's promise to Abraham. Then I went to England and I began to meet and, and uh, I gathered for a feast, uh, an absolute feast. Uh, other parts of the world know hospitality a lot lots better than us. I'll just tell you that right now. I mean, they had... Not very much money, but these people from Peru and Brazil and Basque Country and Spain and some Americans as well. And we gathered around this table and I was like, wow, this is amazing. We had this feast and I thought, I looked around, people from all tribes and tongues and nations, and I laughed. I said, this is because it's the promise of Genesis chapter 12 to Abram. And and then we went to an Iranian underground church. And in a room of about 100 square feet, uh, we, we started off with discipleship with five uh, men that, that had just been baptized and become believers two weeks before. And we were teaching them about Jesus. And I said, this is because of the promise to Abraham. And then I, I went to this older uh, British lady and she, she, she would go door to door knocking in a Muslim background neighborhood and sharing the gospel with these people. And then finally I went to this Danish man's house and his American wife and, and their three children and they had moved into a Pakistani neighborhood in, in northern England just to be a light and a witness to Jesus there as they were praying for and loving their neighbors. And I said, this is because, this is the most ridiculous thing. God showed up to a 75-year-old man and now we're here. And that's why we're gathered in this room because this promise is true that he's going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. But let's fast forward a little bit because it doesn't take long in the very next scene, this man of incredible faith that God has said, I'll give you an inheritance, I'll give you a, a, a people, and I'll give you a land. In the very next scene, he's down in Egypt and He's not walking in faith. He's walking in, in fear. And he says, my, my wife is my sister, so you can have her. And he puts the promise in jeopardy right away. And, and God, what does God do? God does what he always does. When we are faithless, God is faithful. It's the storyline of the Bible. It's why I love the story of Abram. Every time God shows up and he, and he blesses Abram, the very next scene we see Abram doing something stupid. And I get it. I'm like that. God blesses me in spite of myself all the time. And so I'm encouraged by his life. Well, fast forward 10 years. There's still no land and there's no child. And you're just 10 years older at 85 and 75 years old. And things, well, have been radio silence from God. Imagine that. I mean, we don't like to wait. Like 10 10 days, maybe 10 weeks, that's getting hard. 10 months, 10 years. He's waiting. 
And he's waiting. Finally, God shows up again in chapter 15. One of the most bizarre, one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel you will ever see. Look at it. Verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Or your translation might say, I will be your very great reward. Both are true. God is going to be his God. And he's going to provide a great reward for him. Verse 2, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will, give, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram's just like, Hey, I'm 85. My wife is 75. God, it's not going to happen. How, how are you going to do this? And, and, and he, brings his, he brings his doubt. He brings his concern. It's a good question, by the way. He brings that to God, and I love it because it just shows us God is big enough to bring all those things to Him. Like, you don't have to fake your faith. You can be like, God, it, I know what you said, but here's what it looks like. Help me understand. And he's, he's okay with that. I love that. And so he brings his doubts, he brings his questions to God. And in verse 4 it says, uh, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your servant. Your very own son shall be your heir. So he's, again, he's promising him a son. He says, Abram, let's take a walk. Come on outside, verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. <laughs> then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. So he brings him outside. He says, Look up, Abram. See all those stars? I spoke them into existence. Count them if you can. And if you can, then you'll start to get a sense for what your offspring are going to be like. And in that moment, in the darkness of that night, with the stars shining, we know something happens in Abraham's heart. Something that says, by faith, God, I believe you are who you say you are and that you'll do everything you promise you will do. Now, it's not a, it's a, it's not a big faith. It's a tiny mustard seed faith. And, and, and he says, and he believed the Lord. And look what happens. And God counted it to him as Righteousness. This is the cornerstone verse of the Bible, by the way. Four times that verse is going to be quoted in the New Testament. It becomes the foundation for the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. It's in the book of Hebrews and it's in the book of James. We are declared righteous by faith. Now, it's not a big faith. Notice, Abraham at this point has a very tiny faith. But it's not the size or the quality of your faith. It's the object of your faith that matters. Right? I mean, that's true in any area of life. But it's not the size or quality of our faith. It's the object. And the object, if the object is a strong object, then it will deliver. And so we, we want our faith to grow. We want it to be strong. We want it to... Uh, but that's for our joy and our peace. But at the end of the day, our righteousness is based on His gift of grace alone. His righteousness. Hebrews 11.6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. I love that story in Mark chapter 9 when the father brings his demon-possessed son and he says, Jesus, if you're able to heal him, would you do that? And Jesus says, if I'm able. He says, all things are possible if you believe God. And what does the father do? He falls on his face. He's like, I believe. Help my unbelief. And so with this, this tiny little faith, he's like, I believe, but I've got all this unbelief. And what does Jesus do? He says, well, he heals his son. That's, an, that's a prayer God would love to answer in your life today. I believe. Help my unbelief. And so it's by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So 
So he affirms the promise that there will be an offspring. But then there's also this deal with the land. Verse 7, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur and the Chalde- of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And again, Abraham has some questions. But he said, O oh Lord, God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, this sounds strange to us, but imagine, if you will, if we had a, a three-year-old cow, a ram, a goat, and some birds, it would take up most of this stage. We're like, what is going on there? Abram, we're going to see, knows exactly what's going on. And it's a little bit terrifying to him. These are sacrificial animals. God says, bring this massive cow, bring this goat, bring this ram and these birds, bring them to me. Aram knows what's going to happen. There's a covenant that's about to be made. See, when we enter into an agreement, what do we do? We sign our names, right? So if you're going to buy a house, you're going to sign your name like a thousand times. And in it, you're going to make promises to a bunch of different organizations saying, I'm going to fulfill what I'm going to say. And and so our signature becomes that. But this is much more intense. This is oral culture. This is acted out drama. This is, Abram's going to sacrifice these animals. And when you cut a covenant is what they would say, you'd sacrifice the animals and then you'd stack them up and the blood would flow and mingle together and you would create an aisle. And then you'd make a covenant with someone, you'd grab their hand, you'd, you'd make promises, and then you'd walk the aisle with the blood. I mean, that's intense, right? Try that next time you hire someone for your house. See how that goes for you. You'll get arrested, but, but this, is, this, is, this is what he knows is about to happen. So what does Abram do? Well, he, he it's verse 10, and he brought him all these, cut them in half, laid them each half over against the other, Uh, But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So again, you've got to put yourself in this scene. This is not a pleasant moment in Abram's life. Single-handedly, he's got to slit the throat of the the cow. And the blood's going to come out. It's going to be a terrible mess. And he's going to do the same for the goat and the ram and the birds. By the end of it, he is going to be covered in blood from head to toe. And then he's going to take those pieces and he's going to create an aisle. And at this point, growing concern in his heart. Because he knows this about cutting a covenant. There are two ways to cut a covenant. One was between two equals, like we just described. We grab a hand and walk the thing. And the other one is between a greater and a lesser. A king and a vassal. But here's the thing in the greater lesser scenario. The greater never walks the covenant path. The greater never says, hey, uh, when we do this, uh, may what happens to these animals happen to us if the covenant is broken. The king is never going to walk that. The greater person is never going to walk that. It's a symbol of, if the covenant is broken, may what, ha- may what happened to these animals ha- happen to us. And Abram's like, oh no. <coughs> I'm going to have to walk it. I'm going to have to want, be the one that, that makes this. Because clearly in this scenario, one is the guy who speaks the universe into existence. And then there's me, the 75-year-old man. There's, one is the greater, one is the lesser. And so he's terrified in this moment because he doesn't have a great track record. He's like, sometimes I have faith and sometimes I walk with God, but other times, not so much. And, and I've been tempted to lean in, lean in on myself a lot of times. And, 
And this is going to be me. I'm going to be torn into two. My blood's going to flow. So that's what he's thinking. <coughs> Verse uh, where am I? 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. That sounds nice, except for the next words. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Uh, it's hard to translate, but the most, he's aware of what's going on. He's having a night terror, basically. And God begins to tell him rather dark things. Look what it says. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and there will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Here's what God is saying. He's saying, oh, I'm going to fulfill the promise, Abraham. Just not in the way you think. You're going to have offspring, but they're going to be enslaved for 400 years in another land. And then they'll come back and get the land. So I'm, I'm going to fulfill all this. Now, now we need to say something about our theology of suffering here. Because we are terrible at it in the West. God, God is saying, I'm going to use painful circumstances, but I will be sovereign over them, and eventually I will deliver the promise, just not in the way that you thought or hoped, Abram. But the promise will come true. But how does he know? Verse 17. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark... God doesn't wake Abram up. He doesn't say, hey, time for you to take the walk. No, he keeps him asleep. And it says, behold, now this is where it gets really strange. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. What in the world is going on? Well, it's hard to, again, it's hard to translate, but the, those are the, some of the same words that are used years later of God when He meets with His people on Mount Sinai. The smoking fire and, and the smoke. It is a symbol of God saying, Abram, it's not that we're going to take the walk hand in hand together. It's not that you're going to take the walk. Abram, I'm going to take the walk. Now this is unthinkable. And my limited ability to communicate to this shows me that you don't get it. Because this is unthinkable. The greater takes the place of the lesser. The, the, the greatest of all says, I will take the walk. Here's what he's saying. When, when the covenant is broken, and you're going to break it, Abram. I know that already. But when it's broken, it won't be your blood that is shed. It won't be you that have to go on this. It will be me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I'll be the one that walks between the pieces. I'll be the one that is torn into two. I'll be the one that bleeds out. I'll be the one that dies for the broken covenant to be renewed. Now you begin to understand what's going on here. Now you begin to understand when Paul said to the Galatians, the gospel was preached to Abraham. See, 4,000 years later, no, I'm sorry, 2,000 years later, Jesus came Luke tells us at just the right time, when the fullness of time had come, he who was in glory forever in the past put on flesh and stepped into our world. And all of Abraham's descendants had broken the covenant, but this one would be a descendant of Abraham, but also a co-creator of the universe. And he would be the one that would walk perfectly in the covenant between Abraham and God. But at, the, at just the right time, when it had come to its fulfillment, 
Jesus went on the walk between the pieces. Jesus put a cross on his back and took the covenant walk up Mount Golgotha and he was covered in the blood of the sacrifice, but the sacrifice was himself. He would be torn. He would bleed out. His life would be given for their unfaithfulness. See, our hope is not on our ability to obey the law. Our hope is on Jesus alone. And that was Abram's hope. Jesus, speaking to the religious leaders in John's Gospel, said this. John 8, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. In a way, when the pot and the fire went between the pieces of the animals, he was able to see Jesus. He was able to look forward and in faith say, that's my hope. That's my only hope. And so the darkness that had covered that moment would cover Jesus. Matthew, Mark chapter 15 says this, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus was torn in two. He bled out. And in that moment, he fulfilled the covenant promise. In that moment, he blew open the doors to heaven. In that moment, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed through him. By faith, Abraham was able to say, how can I know for sure that you're going to do it? He got a picture of Jesus. How can we know for sure that God is trustworthy, that He is who He says He is, and He'll do all that He promises? We get to look back and see Jesus. See, your problem, and my biggest problem, at the root of it, is a lack of faith. It's a not believing God is who He says He is. And so, your anger is a faith problem. Because you want to be in control, and you can't have God be in control. Your, your greed is a faith problem because you think other things will bring satisfaction to you other than God. Your lust is a faith problem because you think that will make you happy. Everything in you that, that is at its root that you struggle with is ultimately a faith problem. And God is asking you and asking me, will you trust me? And we say, how can we trust you? We look to the cross and we say, oh, that's how we can trust you. That's how we can do it. So we gather together and we stir one another on in faith. That's why we gather as a church. We gather to worship God, but we also gather so that our faith would be strengthened. You notice whenever the Apostle Paul writes letters, who does he write letters to? He writes them to the church. And what does he say? He reminds them of the gospel. Because we gather together to be reminded of what, that which you already knew probably coming into this room, that Jesus is the way. But we need to hear it. We need to sing it. We we need to sing it out loud. That's why worship can't be a consumer experience because it's not just about you. It's about the person on your left and right. They need to hear you proclaim the gospel to stir their faith once again. We need one another. Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, I am eager to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul said, I need to come to you, Roman Christians, because I need my faith to be strengthened, and you need me to come so your faith will be strengthened. And so that's why we gather each week. That's why we gather in our homes and gospel communities. We need to encourage one another to walk in faith. But the other reason we gather is to scatter. We gather to scatter to fulfill the covenant. Jesus, his last words after being 
crucified, buried, resurrected. He gathered uh, on the mountainside and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations. He says, you're going to be the people that fulfill the covenant that I made to Abraham 4,000 years ago. We exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. To that end, let's ask for his help. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the gospel that you preached to Abraham. Lord, thank you that you are a God who makes and keeps your promises. Lord, there are, there are people here, each of us in our own way, that are struggling. Struggling to believe that you are who you say you are and that you'll do everything that you promise you'll do. So Lord, help us to encourage one another this week. Help us to pray. Remember to pray for one another. Help us to love one another, to point them to Jesus. And then help us to just turn our eyes to Jesus. Stir in us a a deeper faith this week. Stir in us a, a sight of who Jesus is. To the end that he is glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.